0: Hey everyone, where are you I hope you're having a wonderful week. So far we have the latest episode of the Inside Crypto Show, interviews and discussions with regular people just like yourselves. Today we're joined by Max Howell, the CEO of T.xyz and creator of Homebrew. Brew is one of the largest open source projects of all time with tens of million users to this day. That's a lot, but we've got lots more to talk about. Max is so much more beyond than, than just Brew. Um, If you're old like me, you'd remember it, but if you're new, we'll talk about that as well. Max, thank you so much for making time. Tell us a bit about yourself.
1: Thank you. Sure, so I started programming when I was six, which was fortunate, (laughs) I it was gonna be such a big deal. I guess my dad had an idea and just sat me down in front of the computer we had at the time, which was this UK machine called a BBC Micro that was somehow branded with the British Broadcasting Corporation. And it booted straight into a programming prompt. So there wasn't a huge amount of other things to do with it. So I just started making games and things, but I never really considered it as a career option, partly because it wasn't a revered career path at the time. I was born in 81. So during the nineties, I was trying to figure out what to do with myself. So I ended up going to the university and doing a, a science degree in chemistry and went into the industry and after about three months i realized that i'd made a terrible mistake and the truth was that everyone who told me that chemistry was boring was right and i fell into this like depressed funk where i just didn't know what i was doing with my life i always thought that this path i was taking was the correct one and I installed Linux on my home PC and started exploring the world of open source. And I found all these different communities in the Linux world that were trying to make computing better. Like just, in general, there was this strong belief system of what we were doing in open source was the way software should be developed and. The way that everybody like just grabbed onto their little pieces and then maintained their little pieces and made it so that you could build like these enormously more capable systems based on like just these tiny pieces that little people were maintaining here and there. I loved it and started building out these apps and things with a bunch of other people. And honestly, it's my favorite period of programming I ever had where I just would stay up all night programming with a bunch of other people around the world that I barely knew. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know anything about them really, apart from the fact that we all were compelled to build this set of software together and I was living with my parents at the time and they were gradually getting more and more frustrated with the fact that I didn't seem to be taking my life seriously. To them, it seemed like I was wasting it, right? And they wanted me to go off and become a lawyer or a doctor or something. And I was just hacking with a bunch of geeks during the night, barely coming up during the day. So they kicked me out of the house and that made me look for work. So I found this company in London that was willing to hire me just simply based on the open source I'd made, because they used some of it. It was Last Fem in London. And so I got myself into the industry just by working in open source. And so I always feel that the story isn't unique. People don't realize that you can just prove yourself with open source contribution, but. I think it's harder nowadays, for sure. This was 2004-ish, so the industry still was yet to prove itself. The internet was becoming very important, but still you talk with your parents, and they'd be like, I don't really see why we need it particularly. And Web2 was just becoming like a word and a thing that people were trying to build out something that was better than what the web was at the time. So yeah, I worked there for a few years, uh, but stuck with the open source on the side quite a lot. And it was while I was there that I created Homebrew. And I did that because we needed it. Like we needed something like it. We were doing a lot of work on Mac and Mac was becoming the platform of choice for devs, partly cause it's Unix underneath, but with a, a nicer uh, UI on top of it. Like even nowadays, Linux is a. Still a mess, honestly, like I, every now and again, check it out because I'm like, I don't really want to be this Apple fanboy. I, I want to get back to my open source roots. And I try and use it. And it's just like one of my long-term goals is honestly to uh, build a better Linux uh, desktop <laughs> environment. Uh, I would love to do that getting there one, one step at a time. So yeah, built out homebrew and then for a few months, nobody noticed it. And then uh, a few things happened and it gained huge amounts of traction really quickly and just became this enormous piece of open source that impacted everything i've done since
0: and i wish we could spend more time talking about this but i wish this was a programming tech podcast unfortunately it is not max so tell us about like when you came to the realization of of t.xyz and integrating your very diverse background with Linux and Unix and, and things that you've done, open source programming with, I hate using Web3, but whatever you want to call it, integrating all of that together to make t.xyz.
1: Yeah, so, you know, my career after Homebrew was kind of like zipped around between different startups and tried as much as possible to work on open source because honestly, Still, what I love the most. It, I try to find startups that were as exciting as working on open source, but just nothing ever filled the itch of building something and then having this community build around it. And then you're creating something new that allows people to build new things entirely, like stuff you couldn't even imagine. And nothing quite scratched the itch like working on package management type stuff because you take the millions and millions of open source packages and if you present them in the right way It allows people to build things you never even imagined possible right like, there's no way we'd have all this new ai tech and all the new blockchain type tech if it wasn't for the open source foundation that like holds all that up and makes tooling available that can then build out those parts and that's just incredibly invigorating so i found a few jobs here and there like i taught iphone development for a few years half time so that I could spend the other half of the time working on open source. And in that time, I built out a few packages that still are really large as well, although obviously nothing as big as homebrew. And then I was working on homebrew for years. I, I say that at the beginning when I was working on it, I had two full-time jobs because I'd have to like work on something that paid the bills. And then in my evenings and weekends, I didn't go out and I, I didn't have a girlfriend or anything. I just worked on homebrew and it was difficult but I was young so you didn't need as much sleep and you could find the energy for it but the truth is homebrew almost certainly was slower to become the mature piece of software that it was because I didn't have the time to work on it all the time and this is just a common problem with open source everyone's aware of it that open source is this public good and yet the people that are maintaining it don't even like really qualify for charitable donation and sponsorship is like severely lacking like people have tried to solve it with sponsorship and bounties and solutions like that but it just never worked there was a time where I spent about six months trying to raise my profile on Patreon and other sponsorship mechanisms to try and get it so that I had like enough money to pay rent and health insurance and all the other things that you need to pay for and it was a very tedious six months of trying to get people to buy in like it would be different if Homebrew was new at the time, but it wasn't, it was established. So people like I love Homebrew, but I don't see why I'm sponsoring this it's already fine, like this general attitude. And developers feel bad about this attitude, but it doesn't change anything. Like I wanted to figure out a way for myself or others to be able to work on open source full time, but it just wasn't there. And it was a couple of years ago where I started looking back into web three and blockchain technologies and I know you say you don't like to refer to it like that, but calling it that was clever. I don't know who came up with it because it made people like me have another look. okay, it's not just a cryptocurrency, there's something else to it, right? There's something we're trying, it's a very gutsy statement to call it Web3 and I think a lot of Web2 types feel that, what's it done, that earned this rebranding, this relabeling of it, that you're adding a whole one to the web, like that's a pretty gutsy statement. but. When I looked into it a bit more carefully, I realized that there was a lot of very interesting technology there that I skipped. Well, I hadn't really paid attention to the ascent of it. And so I started diving into the smart contracts and what you could do with them and what people were doing with this tech. And it was just one evening I had this like moment of clarity, a moment of inspiration where I understood that you could build a system that understood the package graph of open source using package managers as that data source. And with smart contracts, you could make it so that there was a, a model which distributed token accordingly to uh, the importance of the open source and thus potentially fix the the problem that open source has where it's just so vastly important, like nowadays especially. I think most of us who are working in open source when it was newer by surprise, we knew it was possible that it could power the world. And then over the last 15 years, it really has gotten to the point where it absolutely does. It's the stack that everything is built on top of. And a lot of people don't realize it, right? Because it's just like this thin proprietary layer that they interact with. like Every website's closed source slither on top of this enormous stack of software that is maintained as a public good, essentially. So yeah, I then pursued investment for it, and it was surprisingly easy to get people on board. I'd just be like, hey, I I create Homebrew, tens of millions of users, and I think we can do a web-free version of that. They were like, here's the money. (laughs) So it's been about two years, and we're very far along at this point. Nice.
0: That's exciting as well. Like anyone who's watch this podcast or the other one that i do in my own time right? content creators are familiar with obs right open broadcasting system which is another famous open source project and even like people like you born in 81 right i was born in 82 and you would have seen from the 80s to the 90s different like forms of projects and like people never think like these guys that are doing it like yourself in your free time right what are they earning is, is it livable right and, and now within, in the day of patreon and Kickstarter, and and it's still, like you just mentioned, your experience, it's still not enough for people. Okay, you've created T, right? Is the next step then to say, go out to open source project and say, hey, you should use our system, or is it more of a passive thing and you're waiting for them to say, hey, oh, I found this T thing. I think this actually might be worth it for this project, whatever project it is. I should talk to Max Howell and the team at T.xyz to onboard with them.
1: Yeah, we would love if open source projects would come to us. We're not yet live, so we're in the sort of outreach process. We're actually actively doing that right now where, like, we've identified a bunch. Like, we've built what's going to be an Oracle on the Chain, which assesses the rankings of all open source projects. We'll be launching with 5.5 million open source projects ranked, but we think there's more like 25 to 30 million projects each package manager we use its registry to calculate this what we're calling t rank and the ranking system is based on the idea that open source projects choose their dependencies and that choice is like a a reputational score essentially and if we know the reputations of the packages at the outer edges and the outer edges is usually what gets sponsorship right And still, though, uh, the sponsorship these projects get is usually abysmal. And that's why over the last five or six years, a lot of commercial open source companies have formed where they're like, hey, we're building this open source, but we know it has value. And we can see that value because enterprise shops adopt us like crazy. So how about you fire us some traditional VC funding and we try and make a services structure on top of that? and i understand why people are doing that but i don't personally like it at all (laughs) because i think that it puts too much of an agenda into the open source and open source is wonderful because it is agenda free or at least the only agenda is that of the creators and maintainers who know what they're trying to solve they're only trying to solve the problem the problem is all that matters as soon as you make it into a commercial type setting then the the agenda of the the board and the investors and your customers becomes way more important. And I think you see that time and again, actually, in commercial open source, where as soon as they get big enough, someone uh, makes a new version of the project. And open source has always been very good at this. If you see the project won't accept your pull request or it's going to be too difficult to get your pull request in there and you need this feature, eventually you start coming up with the, the project that should replace it So fortunately, that happens. But one of the things I love about T-Protocol is that we don't change the incentives for those people who are trying to solve these problems. Instead, we are actually fixing some of the other incentives, like the fact that often security is an afterthought in open source. It's terrifying, frankly, that we have this huge body of software and uh, it's full of security holes. For years, people would say, Security through obscurity isn't a thing, Uh, so closed source isn't any better than open source. But I think that we've seen that actually uh, the people who are incentivized to find these security holes are not the good guys. They can make a lot more money by finding a hole and then selling it to people who are interested in exploiting that or exploiting it on their own so and like the incentives just aren't aligned for open source projects to care about security sufficiently like they care about their own needs and if they think it's secure enough then they are not going to do an audit i think web3 is different in that respect because it's just so devastating if someone does find a hole in a smart contract as we've seen time and again right but in tradi- in, the, in the base of open source that powers of all of that stuff on top security is often an afterthought so i love that we're not changing the incentives for why open source is built, but also changing the incentives for the problems with open source for everybody. And we genuinely think that everyone's going to take note of that aspect of it once we get going. But anyway, back to your question, which was like how we're doing the outreach. Uh, so like it, ITN is planned for the first quarter of next year, and so we're currently trying to find the right kinds of projects to onboard and reaching out. i like reaching out personally and trying to there are certain projects that we're just not going to get on board initially, but if we get the right projects on initially, then they will evangelize and influence their networks, and then it will spread. And we've built incentives into how the protocol works so that you as a project that's onboarded are encouraged to reach out to your dependencies because that will increase your token rewards. So you start off with a reasonable amount of token reward every epoch, but if you manage to get all your dependencies onboarded, then we increase that by a certain percentage, and that goes down all the way. We mapped out these projects so they go super deep. It's crazy how deep a project's dependency list can be. Like a typical React project has thousands of dependencies. It's insane. And if you think about the liability you have as someone shipping that software and not knowing for sure that it's all like actually secure or even that it won't have, like, bugs that are problematic, one of the consequences of being on our protocol is that you are expected to care more about that kind of stuff. And I I hate to say it, but open source maintainers typically don't. They don't. I have, personally, but a lot of them don't. And I love that we're not going to be forcing anyone to care, right? But it's just if you actually get value out of the system that we're building, then you'll want to care we're just changing those incentives there's no handcuffed forcing of anyone to care more about these aspects of their software
0: okay max so i'm a dev i'm listening to this on apple Podcasts, or i'm watching the video on youtube later and i'm like okay cool this sounds interesting t is not live just yet but it is going to be live next year at some point right and it's, okay, sweet, I'm going to plan, I'm going to quit my nine to five and this is going to be my thing. I'm going to work on open source and tea is going to be the way I survive. Is that possible? Was that suggested? Is is it going to be good enough to just be on tea and have some sort of a living?
1: Obviously, we hope that the open source that on boards is rewarded to the extent that it can change how they live. It's in many ways the goal, right? But we change the nature of open source so that these people that are working currently Let's face it; like being a dev can be quite lucrative, and you aim for a fan company or something so you can get your like two hundred thousand a year plus. And, uh, no, it'd be great if like, some of these people who are incredibly smart and capable were funneling their genius towards things that actually benefited the entire software industry and us in, in many ways, like the humanity as a whole. It, it Appalls me that we got so many engineers working at Facebook and shit like that, and that they spend all their time just creating more engagement bait algorithms essentially. And like a lot of the things we've built with Web2 turned out to be pretty toxic, honestly. And we've got all these people that are engaged full-time in increasing that toxicity. They should be funneling their intelligence towards something that is actually beneficial for everyone. So I really hope that it can be like that, but we don't know how long it's gonna take for the value to be correctly attributed to the projects that matter. And so, the best thing anyone can do really is onboard during the ITN so we can figure out how well it's going to work. And the onboarding process is going to be super fun, honestly. Like you'll be able to see as soon as you're onboarded exactly how much of the token is is going to be rewarded to you and uh, distributed and how that funnels throughout the whole of your dependency graph. So I really hope that it's going to be a, a fun one-click for a lot of devs, like even if they're skeptical about... Web3Tech, which, you know, let's face it, the last bull market really destroyed the reputation of this industry for a lot of people in general, not just devs, but I get a lot of abusive responses on Twitter about it, and like people just very stubborn in their beliefs, but we really hope that our project will be one of those projects that changes mindsets. There isn't going to be a rug pull (laughs) and that the distribution of token is fair, at, at launch and our goals genuinely are altruistic with this. There isn't like some portion of token rewards that's fumbling to the company or anything like that. All of the system is built to sustain the entire open source ecosystem. As a company, we're gonna have to figure out our own revenue models after this thing goes live. Like We have ideas, but we aren't directly like taking a piece of it so i think people will see that but yeah we just have to wait for how yeah the next six months go basically
0: so you mentioned ideas but what are your ideas for potential revenue streams again this is far in the future so they're just ideas i want to emphasize that to anybody who's watching or listening nothing's concrete right yeah what are your ideas for revenue streams next year
1: next year probably not honestly i think our investors are aware of the fact that in an open AI kind of way that we're trying to do this for the good of uh, the open source ecosystem. So revenue models are on the back burner while we build that protocol and make sure it works. I think I don't want to describe anything specifically in a way it's uh, proprietary IP, the ideas we have, and I don't want other people to build them in advance of us because I've spoiled it on this podcast. But I think anyone who has any experience with what you can do with Web3 like probably has some ideas about how we intend to use our expertise in the protocol that we're building in order to try and build additional things on top of that that can have value to open source and commercial entities that use open source. Most of our revenue models are along the lines of that. Like We, we have built this useful utility layer and people can build successful businesses on top of that just using the, the, the fact that we've created a way to attribute value to open source, which has so much value. Everybody knows how valuable open source is. It's just nobody's figured out how to actually use that understanding in a way that it functions. Like I was saying before, like bounties and sponsorship, just don't cut it. If anything, they still consider open source to be a charity in that respect. And it's not a charity, it's like fundamental infrastructure that is keeping the whole world running and it needs to be treated as such, but in a way that doesn't really change it, uh, change how it's built and how it works. that was a a vital piece of how we designed it out the whole time. It's it's just not gonna work if we change it for a start. If you change open source into something else, then people will just start creating open source in a traditional sense again. (laughs) <laughs> like it, you, you can't like change the incentives that have already driven all this production of free software. Essentially, yeah.
0: No, oh no, and and I think while you were describing this earlier, I was thinking of of the great example of Amazon saying, "Okay, we're not using Android anymore." Android was the really famous open source operating system. But and people are like, why not? And then people realize, hey, yeah, Android is free, but Google has a whole list of caveats. If you use Android, you can't do this and this, and this goes back to what you said about commercial open source. And this is why Amazon's made their move to go mm-hmm. to Fire OS and yeah. remove some of those limitations.
1: Yeah, yeah. open source ca- tends to correct itself. It, it can take some time. And like you can see how far money can take open source. Well, Android's a great example, right? Google have huge coffers so they could afford to like turn Linux into this extra step beyond what the open source community was capable of in the timescales that Google did it. So you can see how what we're doing can take the power away from these Web2 companies that took all this open source software and then showed what it was capable of, but then didn't really contribute back or care to in many ways. Google do sponsor a lot of open source or they hire open source people, but I don't, I don't like the, when they hire these. As I was saying before, it absolutely introduces agenda and direction that isn't necessarily the, in the best interests of the open source community and the world of software that we build on top of that. And that's part of the reason that I'm passionate about what we're doing is fixing that is it seems very important
0: and i totally agree with you there are so many things that are just rumbling around in my mind about open source and especially coming from south africa and, and, and software and education and ubuntu linux is is a good example i as a young person like you don't really okay i'm poor i can't do anything and you get older finally i can donate to these projects so these pieces of software that i use for free and somebody has spent hours or years of their life building right but Bring this all back to tea. I have some ideas of impacts that you could have in the future, but of course, coming from you is always better. What do you hope in five years' time when people talk about Max Howell and it's no, no longer talking about homebrew, what do you want your impact to be with tea?
1: Yeah, I hope they're not talking about me, honestly. I'm a reluctant celebrity in the fields that I am a celebrity in, which, thank God, it's just like devs and not like beyond that. I want the tea protocol has achieved its purpose and transformed how open source is made sustainable and increased like the security of the huge stack that exists and it would be wonderful if people suddenly have a choice about how they are um, sustaining themselves and that T protocol becomes something they can use as um, Kickstarter for, what they're doing. And we hope there's going to be a bunch of DeFi built on top that also is designed to make creating like open source companies as such, something you can do without the VC funding, just built on top of the protocol. And I think that's one of the things that's totally unique to Web3 and crypto is these novel ideas for financial instruments. You just need to build the right base layer for these people who have it's just so open source the whole thing like you build a nice utility and then people who have like ideas in a different sort of layer can then see how they can build on top of that like it's one of the, the most interesting things I found with all of this because that's my passion about open source has always been it's like hey just go down to the Unix terminal command line I, I love the way all the little tools do one little thing but then you compose them together and you produce something that's just so much more powerful and That's part of the reason that spreadsheets are so popular is that they embody that concept, although in a a more confined way. I think we use spreadsheets occasionally, but if you start understanding how to use the the command line with uh, different scripting languages, then you reach for it less often. And uh, yeah, so I would love for people to build out things that we haven't even thought. The thing I, I love most about open source is like you build out something that is useful, but you don't fully understand why... Well, what's possible? Like you haven't thought of all the ideas. You have a few. You're like, oh, well, I could do this. That's cool. And then other people turn up and they blow you away with this thing that you didn't even think of that could be done with what you've built. And it's just deeply satisfying to know that you've enabled entirely new things. And I'm uh, very excited to see what people will build. And I think that the things they will build will uh, most of the time have like direct contribution to making open source sustainable and Secure. That's exciting.
0: That's definitely exciting. We brought up around the same time. I think there's a lot of potential there that's just been so scattered and not really put together in the same place. And I'm looking forward to it. Max, it's, it's been an interesting conversation and so much more. Um, but I think you've, you've covered a lot of the essentials of what you're doing with T and what the future is going to look like um, in the next year and the next two years before we end up today's show is there anything else about tea that you'd like to tell our listeners or our viewers anything that you're supposed to say that you haven't said yet but i mean anything up to you floors yours take as much time as you want how would you like to end up today's podcast
1: yes yeah, if you're a developer or even if you're not uh, and you're just passionate about open source and what's possible with it then check out t.xyz that's our website nice three-letter domain and uh, sign up for the waitlist. That's how you'll find out all the things we have planned over the next six to twelve months. And like, uh, firstly, starting with the incentivized testnet, which should be live early Q1 next year. So yeah, we're very close to it. right it's important just to keep on top of these things. So the email or the Twitter, and then everyone knows a project that's important to them. And what we're going to need is for those projects to on board or at least consider it and some evangelism on behalf of what we're doing is going to help it's one thing when I go out there and tell everyone how great it is they're like of course you think it's great you're (laughs) the one building it these things only work if other people also believe that and the way that works is you have to tell them about it so I hope that uh, I've inspired the people listening to this to care about what we're doing and believe in it and I'm not going to ask you to evangelize us if you don't believe it but if you do That would really help, thanks.
0: I mean, with your reputation, right? Like even I, I'm not a dev or programmer just for fun, right? Like I know who you are, but like, it should be like easy given your reputation for people to say, oh my God, Max Howell's doing this thing, we've got to join.
1: Yeah, it certainly helps (laughs) for sure. It's just a factor in terms of why what we're building is going to work and why it's going to be a success is, yeah, I got the background and I have a great team and we did identify a problem that's real and we found a solution that has, like, really good odds, I'd say, of working. But at the end of the day, if the open source projects don't onboard, we're going to have more trouble. And I think it's going to be, as I say, like, a viral thing where it will be so easy to onboard and then you can see... You know, in a way, like you, we're telling open source projects how important they are. And one of the things I've noticed about open source devs is that's a big motivator. <laughs> like they're they're heavily incentivized by the reputational gain and like feeling smug about what they built. Like, I feel it too. Right? You know, like, I've done loads of open source projects that got nowhere and. It's, And then the ones I did that did get somewhere, I love it. It it feels good. And uh, we're giving you a rank (laughs) like, Hey, your project's like one of the most important ones in the world. But the only way you'll find out is if you sign up. So I think that's going to help for sure. And the fact that it's going to be fun engaging with the protocol is not just work. Like we're trying to minimize the amount of work. So yeah, there's always a lot of factors and we're doing what we can. Obviously you've got a big marketing push going on now for the next few months and we're gaining followers on the platforms quite healthily and it's encouraging but yeah we'll see
0: perfect and i appreciate you taking the time to appear here and and talk to people and and especially for me it's fun having a bit more techie focused podcast as opposed to strictly crypto blockchain focused one Um, and as usual if you're watching this episode right all the socials for t.xyz will be down there there'll be time codes as well so if you want to go skip it back and forth and Just check out things that you might have missed. Please do that. And Max, thank you so much for taking time. And I look forward to possibly, if you do have time next year, catching up in a year or so and saying, hey, this is where we've come. This is where we're going for 2025. Um, That would be awesome. And thanks again and talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, great. I would love to be back to talk about how it's gone. So I look forward to that. Thank you.